Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Coming at you hot. Coming at you straight shooters. That's right. Everything we've said so far has been a lie. <laughs> oh, like in all our previous episodes? Yes. Every episode we've done, including Rose Buddies, it's all been lies. And it's time for us to just fess up. And I think it's time that we start being straight shooters and not the kind of curvy shooters that we've been. So let's, let, I guess let's do top three lies that we've done on the show that we want to try and make up for. Okay. Uh, Griffin and I are not actually married. No. We're, in fact, you know what? We're the same person. No. That, yeah, that sounds right. This whole time, we've just been uh-huh. one person doing uh-huh. It's actually a ventriloquist situation, but you'll never guess which one of us is the dummy. <laughs> Okay, what's our second one? Well, the second one is that this is a podcast. It's a big one. A lot of people listen to this, they think it's a podcast. It's not. It's a very long movie with <laughs> no pictures. That's experimental, guys. And they release it in parts like Kill Bill. You know, mm-hmm. how Kill Bill, they were like, this movie's too long, Quentin. You need to break it up into two movies. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, we did that, but we did, we've done it now 150 times. It's like it's like a boyhood, but in real time. It's like a real-time boyhood. Uh-huh. Like if boyhood was you, instead of it was a movie, it was 150 little movies. Mm-hmm. And, the boy, and each one was a year in the boy's life. <laughs> so he lived to be 150 years old. Uh-huh. And then the final eye is... Oh, can I... I, yeah, please. Uh, my name is not Rachel. Nope. Gertrude. Gertrude. Yes, we I are. Rachel we, was like sexier for today's audience, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot of Gertrudes listening to this who just got their feelings very hurt. I think Gertrude is a very I'm just saying name. what our market research says. That is not my opinion. Sure. Um, when you said that we weren't married, it made my <laughs> heart shrivel shrivel up and get very cold <laughs> you started this premise i was just trying I, yeah, to yeah but i didn't say we weren't married i was trying to yes and you except you're saying no but to our whole ma- our whole deal <laughs> no we are very happily heart. married maybe me sad we are coming too. up on seven years coming on this up winter. wow geez and what's mm-hmm. the seven year anniversary what is that that's like meat uh slurpee slurpee mm-hmm. that's right it's it goes paper copper Onyx, light <laughs> is four. Number five is diamonds. Every uh-huh. five is diamonds. Uh huh. Six is uh six is uh, I think rubber band. I think it's corkwood. Corkwood. Mm-hmm. Number seven slurpee. is slurpee. Number mm-hmm. eight is meat. Eight is the meat anniversary. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Do you have any small wonders? Um. I do. Well, this isn't totally above board, but we have found episodes never before seen of people baking uh, in the great British style uh, that have... (laughs) Did you forget the name of the show? (laughs) No, because it's not technically Great British Bake Off. It's the Great British Stand Up to Cancer Bake Off. Yes. It's their celebrity edition. They did a series of episodes uh, that feature celebrities, comedians, just general personalities that do not have baking experience. No. Uh, and it is very enjoyable and not widely available. So good luck. Good luck out good there, Good luck guys. finding we it. We had to do some digging. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't feel as guilty about that because it's literally impossible for us to watch those. And there sure. are some genuine treasures. That was going to be my small wonder, too. I will do a side pivot and just say, in general, James A. Castor, because yeah. his performance in uh, Great British Bake Off is, like, the best. It is it, That show is so gentle and... Uh, 
sweet and straightforward that you almost never see anybody truly catastrophically fail. <laughs> and so it is like delightful to watch comedians like catastrophically fail or in Terry Hatcher's case, catastrophically succeed. She has a, <laughs> whatever the baking equivalent of a green thumb is, a golden, golden brown, crusty thumb. Yeah, we did some research. Apparently, she's like a real baker Very talented now. Baker, that's her thing. Very good, 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 good on you. Mm-hmm. I think maybe you go first this I week. I do. Okay, what do you got? I want to talk about the grandiose music videos of the 1990s. This, you sent me a particular sort of reading aid for this topic yes. mm-hmm. that. Uh, I watched this morning, and it is... <laughs> did you watch the whole thing? I watched the entire front okay. to back, and okay. I'm so glad I did, because it might be the best piece of media <laughs> ever created. And I don't know if it resonated with me, because uh, I was... Well, I guess this video came out in 88, so I was one year one years old. Um, oh, no, this no, this one's 91, the 91. one I'm featuring. Okay. So four years old then. Mm-hmm. Still not old enough to really appreciate its yeah. art. Yeah, well, I and now. I don't know, you know, with some of these lengthy music videos, I don't know that they were aired in their fullness no. consistently. No. I imagine not. Um, I was looking at uh, some of these videos, um, and, you know, I mean, music video heyday really was like around this time, late 80s, early 90s. What do you mean by heyday? Like Just like when it was like starting out. Like okay. becoming like music television was a thing. VH1 was a thing. Right. You know, like if this was like, if you're going to put out an album, everybody wanted to know what your video was going to be. Right. Uh, so I was looking at the most expensive videos of all time. And 10 of the 15 on this list were from the 90s. Okay. <laughs> Um, the most expensive, uh, was Michael and Janet Jackson in Scream, uh, which came out in 1995 and cost, uh, at the time, $7 million. That's quite a bit. Yes, that's quite a bit. Um, the one I wanted to feature, though, is Too Legit to Quit by Hammer. Is, sorry, quick side track. Is Jamiroquai's virtual insanity on the most expensive? Because how do they even build that room with the moving floor? That must have cost a pretty penny, huh? <laughs> a lot of money you'll see spent on these videos are like special effects, like right, CGI okay. stuff. Yeah, okay. Uh, which is, for example, why Scream was so expensive. There yeah, are a lot of videos from that time period that got really excited about the, like, let's make everything look like water and morph into everything else. Yeah, I think that movie The Abyss came out. That was the one that had, like, the... Well, and The Matrix, for example, too, right? Well, The Abyss, I think, predated The Matrix by a significant amount, and it was, like, the, the underwater water ghost monster thing, and people saw that <laughs> technology. Like, how can we use that? I think Busta had a video that yeah. very prominently mm-hmm. featured, like, that mm-hmm. sil- like Alex Mack technology. Yeah. God, yeah. how many people do you think haven't understood a thing we've said in the last like, two and a half <laughs> I know, we're using a lot of 90s slang. Um, so the thing that is exceptional about this video for Too Legit to Quit, uh, it's 14 minutes long. Mm. Uh, it features a tremendous number of cameos. Uh, cameos mean, makes it sound like they just kind of w- wander into frame. It features a lot of starring roles from yeah. a lot of unexpected individuals. So the first eight minutes is just like narrative setup for this video. And this is the thing I really like about these kind of epic music videos of the time period is they they are telling a whole story start to finish that may or may not really be related to the song. Yes. <laughs> um, but this one in particular... You can tell pretty quickly 
how it's going to relate to the song. The song is called Too Legit to Quit. And the premise they start out with is that Hammer has quit. Uh, and I know you're, and I know you're <laughs> thinking. I have been made certain assurances by Mr. Hammer that this, is, that this is an activity he will never engage in. And yet, here we are. So prior to the video's release, uh, Hammer had over 14 million in sales of Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had also produced and starred in his own movie called Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him, the movie. <laughs> In 1990, uh, he was riding high. Yep. And and this kind of reminds me of that, like, Eminem thing of, like, telling your audience, like, you thought I was going away, but here I am. Uh, and Hammer's kind of doing that with this of, like, can you imagine if Hammer quit and what would happen in the world? So it's it's Jim Belushi as a newscaster. <laughs> I imagine a lot of people just got, like, whiplash from, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> He is announcing that there are rumors that Hammer has quit, and then we get a lot of reactions from celebrities at the time period. Yes. Uh, including uh, Queen Latifah, Danny Glover, Tony Danza, and then a series of athletes. So I didn't realize this, but Hammer was a bat boy uh, for the Oakland A's. Oh, I And so he had a lot of like sports connections from that. Okay. Which I guess is a possibility if you are a bat boy. You also get to watch Jim Belushi have a full-blown panic breakdown. Yeah. It's a strange... They really gave him some rope on that performance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But so Roger Clemens, Jose Canseco is in it. uh, And there is just, and there's a lot of repeat. There's a lot of bouncing, like, okay, let's talk to Eazy-E. Let's go back to Danny Glover. Okay, and then now let's go talk to the actor that played Bud Bundy on Married with Children. And then let's go back to Danny Glover again. (laughs) And then back to Jim Belushi doing a like bizarre hammer dance uh, grotesque parody uh in, yeah. his, in the studio jim belushi at some point seems to be mocking hammer for quitting at his peak and suggests that maybe hammer's fame was too much for him and then he starts doing impressions of hammer related not great yeah not great not great jim uh so then Kind of inexplicably, and this is where some of the cost came from on this <laughs> $2.5 million video. <laughs> we go to James Brown, uh, who is in this like palace, and he is presenting himself as the godfather, and Hammer is going to him to get power <laughs> in the form in the form of fireballs. Yes. Uh, this is kind of a fun fact of the video. So James Brown was in jail and was set to be released the day video production began. Uh, So Hammer arranged for a private jet to pick up James Brown from the South Carolina prison to bring him to L.A. the day he was released. Uh, And then I guess in addition to that cost, there were two extra days of private jet time so that James Brown could go to Vegas. (laughs) So the the originally planned 18-day shoot turned into 30 days, and these were like 18-hour days. Jesus Christ. Just filming all of this. Um, Because in addition to this James Brown scene, there's scenes in what looks like to be some kind of industrial fire factory. There's like a city street. You know, the the industrial fire factory that every single music video (laughs) of the 90s had to incorporate in some way, even when it wasn't like part of the narrative i think fast car like very briefly jumps to the fire factory 
Madonna did a lot of factory work too. In yeah, her Lisa Loeb in the middle of stay, it like runs out of that apartment that she's just kind of walking all around. It's like, hold up. I got to go to the Fire and Sparks factory <laughs> real quick. We'll make a quick one there. And then we're coming on back to the sad apartment. Uh, there are there are countless dancers in this video. There's also an auditorium scene. So after James Brown gives Hammer the firepower. And tosses him around the room telekinetically. Yes. Yeah. And suggests that Hammer get the glove, uh, which we find out later about in more detail. Uh, we cut to an auditorium that is just packed with fans waiting for Hammer to come out. Or come da- come down, come through come the through. Nexus portal that mm-hmm. James Brown summons. It's in the shape of the Earth for some reason. Yeah, there's and a globe that spins globe, around like and a the globe screensaver. Sucks up MC Hammer and all of the dancers' souls. Yeah, and sends their souls through the globe, sailing. See, I wasn't around. sure how to interpret the globe. I think the globe is about. I think the globe represents mortality. I've got a whole thing. We can talk about it afterwards. (laughs) Uh, At which point the music, as I mentioned, eight minutes in finally starts because Hammer does come out on stage and perform Too Legit to Quit. Too Legit to Quit. Not just a a fun name. It is a six minute long music song. Uh, Yeah. And there's a hand gesture that goes along with it. Um, Too Legit to Quit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That must have been really great for the audience. (laughs) Uh, this song, I think, was also featured in the Adams Family movie, if I remember yes. correctly. Um, the, the hand gesture, you get confirmation on the glove, because at the end of the video, we cut to a booth, uh, like a, a video production booth, where we see a, uh, impersonator of Michael Jackson, uh, wearing the the one sparkly glove, yes. doing the two his, legit to quit. His agent is like, oh no, he's coming for us. MC Hammer, did you see this guy? He's so skilled, but he's got nothing on us. Isn't that right? And then the Michael Jackson glove does. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize there was beef there, but okay. Yeah, they were both kind of vying for, you know, peak sales at that time period. And you know what? Let's call it a tie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it, you know what? Let's call it a draw. Who can tell? Uh, some of you may all not may know this about Hammer. Um, five years after this video was released, he event filed for bankruptcy. Um, but he's doing okay now. Yeah, sure. He he just kind of you know I mean if you release an album and you get fourteen million from it, he just he went a little wild. Yeah, sure. With his purchases uh, has since kind of gotten his finances in order. Uh, everything worked out okay for Hammer in it, the end. It is a truly bonkers, of, of this genre of video that you are talking about, I cannot think of one that is better than this. Like, this is all, this is all time, like, mm-hmm. most representative of, like, that wild 90s creative ambition uh, that, like, people who didn't necessarily know how to channel it the best could do, but the yeah. what comes out of that is so so pure and so strong like you're watching james brown throw fireballs at mc hammer and levitate him all around his room and you're like i don't know what the fuck is going on or who thought of this or who thought this was a good idea but i'm so glad they did it is it's like i was telling griffin it's like a time capsule i mean not only does he get a lot of the like notable personalities of the decade but the special effects and his approach it's very representative of the time it's so good uh it is not a video i had seen in its entirety until very recently nor i what was the other one you were telling me about 
Oh, November uh, Rain. November Rain. Yeah, so that's what kind of got me on this track uh, is November Rain is a Guns N' Roses video that follows Axl Rose from like falling in love and marrying a woman to her untimely death. And there is a lot of a lot of set work, a lot of there's actual drone footage Whoa, in there what? of Slash playing his guitar solo. Uh, another very expensive video. Yeah. Uh, Guns N' Roses did quite a few, as did Madonna and Michael Jackson. I imagine I Meatloaf probably clocked in some some. Well, you know, I didn't budget. do any research on Meatloaf. Mm. I mean, just by nature of the fact that his songs are these nine-minute yeah, long, true. extremely dramatic ballads. <laughs> God. I, November Rain is one of those weird songs that like I cannot remember anything about the song except for the ending lick which is mm-hmm. like iconic like best guitar lick ever but i yeah. can't remember like how the actual verse goes is that yeah. weird it's kind of weird it's a little weird um can i do my first thing yes uh my first thing's pretty quick it is geocaching oh uh, it's something that like i feel like i was super into for like a year uh and then haven't really done that since uh because austin has like a pretty decent geocaching scene but it's all like weirdly concentrated uh and we don't live like anywhere near the geocaching hot spots uh, we used we used we to. used to uh yeah when we first or when i first moved to austin i lived in a neighborhood that was like in the shit um geocaching is an activity where folks hide caches all around the world and they leave clues uh, and coordinates that folks can follow to hunt down those caches using what? a GPS device or uh, a, an app on your phone. Yeah, I was going to ask. Like, that's the thing. Like, how do you access this? There's an app called Geocaching mm-hmm. uh, that now, uh, unfortunately, has a subscription fee attached oh, to it. A yeah, I know. It, it, it used to be free, but I think. Uh, for whatever reason, it costs money now. But there, I think there are other free geocaching apps. It's just that this one has the most caches registered because anybody can like yeah. create an app and then it's kind of, or can create a cache and then it's sort of like peer reviewed and gets like bumped out of the list organically if it's not a good one. Um, so caches typically include like a log that people can sign when they find the cache before replacing it. Uh, and my, my favorite kind of caches, uh, are actual containers that include little trinkets or doodads that you're supposed to take one and replace it with, with something else. Yeah. Do you remember our sad story about being out in, I believe it was Driftwood? Yeah. And we found that little spoon yeah and then what was it replaced with with a lick uh card that had all the holes punched in that's not <laughs> a sad story that's a great story i got a fucking rad spoon that's like one of the i have that listed here in my notes as one of the best caches but no i think the spoon was great i think leaving a discount card for it's not an ice a discount cream card store. it is a free ice cream <laughs> and it didn't expire i checked i was very careful about this it was fully punched out so like <laughs> what i put in there was a, a ticket for free good ice cream from lick like a pint of ice cream mm-hmm. if anything i got ripped off with my spoon i loved that spoon it was like a state spoon for like alaska or something like that yeah like that's charming so is free a pint of free ice cream (laughs) i can't believe you came after me for that uh anyway geocaching is uh it was originally sort of developed and became a thing that you could do in uh 2000 uh, which was well after the invention of GPS. Um, what I didn't realize is that before uh, s- the spring of 2000, uh, GPS utilized something called selective availability. So if you were a civilian who was using GPS, using civilian data, uh, it would be purposefully thrown off by up to like 100 meters. Like there was a programmed in 
inaccuracy to keep people from using, you know, civilian GPS data for nefarious purposes. But because of that, it made geocaching more or less impossible because that inaccuracy kind of just, you know, a hundred square meters or whatever is like a huge area of of a huge margin of error to try to like find things in um but then they turned that off in 2000 and geocaching became possible uh the first geocache was hidden in beaver creek oregon uh and it was made of a big black plastic bucket that was filled with uh software videos books money a can of beans and a slingshot pretty (laughs) fucking cool treasure chest to unearth how did those items come to be together, I wonder? Just this one dude hid this cache uh, <laughs> and posted about it on some web forum, uh, and then folks went and found it. Uh, it was tragically destroyed in a lawn mowing accident, this first cache, <laughs> but now there is a plaque that sits where it was hidden because it was the first geocache ever hidden, and apparently the can of beans survived mm. the lawnmower accident. So the, the can of beans is also like a geocaching Old grandpa treasure. beans, still there um, There are over 3 million caches hidden all around the world today they've been discovered over 640 million times so there's like a lot of people doing this uh and they are hidden all over the globe in 191 countries and even antarctica that is not the wildest place that a cache is hidden uh for nine years from 2008 to 2017 cache gc1be91 was hidden on the international space station whoa good luck logging that one I don't. I cannot think of many other caches that have been clocked fewer times than the ones what hidden. What was it? Do you know? I do not is know. It some astronaut ice cream. Probably yes. Uh, so uh, what I like about geocaching is one: the people who hide them can be like super clever about it. The containers themselves are oftentimes like pretty clever. A very common one is a film canister with like a magnet glued to it, so you can stick it to the underside of like a metal table or something like that, and it blends in so well. So you have the coordinates on your phone that will get you in the general vicinity of where the thing is and you will have like a clue that will tell you where the thing is but it's up to you to actually find it and sometimes they're like really 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 well hidden so a long time ago when people used to put uh film in cameras it would come in a little pill type container yes uh and that is what a film canister is for our young listeners yes um the geocaching like app that is the like main one has a bunch of different sort of like ratings that you can do. So it lets you know how many people have found uh, a cache and then you can rate it for difficulty or accessibility. If it's like hidden in like a wild hike that you have to do or climb a tree or something like that. Like I never fucked with those. Um, what I really liked doing was just kind of like walking around the neighborhood, opening up the app and seeing if there was anything close by that we could go find. And I feel like when I first moved to Austin and you and I started dating and we would like go on walks around the neighborhood, it was kind of a cool way to get to know the, the, the neighborhood. This was like pre Pokemon go for us. Yes. And so it was like an activity you could do out in your own community. Uh, that didn't cost you anything. It had kind of an adventure element to it. it. And that adventure element made it like my favorite thing to do do outdoors Mm -hmm. for the year or so and it was like a thing that we were actively doing all the time maybe when henry gets a little bit older we will uh do it again but i feel like i feel like once you reach a certain age then you just want to play pokemon go uh but like it's where we it's where i found out about sparky park which is just like this cute little art park uh, that's where we took our engagement photos where we took our engagement photos yeah and there was also a very well hidden cache there that took us a very long time to find um there are also virtual caches where people will plant uh like qr codes that you can scan and then sign the virtual log on the app there's also a whole game called uh Mun- munzy 
that is basically geocaching with QR codes that you can print out and do the same thing, uh, but it's like scored. So like uh, if you hide one of these little QR codes, if someone finds it, you both get points and the points differ depending on how difficult it is. There's, it's like a whole thing. Um, but I just, I like, I like the idea of geocaching. I remember me and my family do a, a, a walk on Christmas Eve uh, every year where we kind of just reflect on the events of the past, uh, the past year and the year where we were all super into geocaching. That walk went for like an hour and a half because <laughs> yeah. we ping ponged all around Ironton. At a certain point, we just like got in the car and started to drive around. <laughs> we like rooted around a graveyard for like a half that. hour. Trying that was to before find... I think any of us had children. And yeah. so there was, there was no urgency to there the walk. There was very little urgency to the walk. <laughs> now the walk is quite brief, uh, especially when children are taken and, get cold instantly um but yeah i just think it's a cool it's a fucking cool activity like it is something that i think about occasionally even though we don't do it that often but like if we're at a playground or you know it's not like we're going out to uh various public events at all these days but uh back in the day you know it would be anytime we were out in a park or anything it would be just cool to open up the geocache app and see if we could find a treasure real quick there's something very appealing about yeah that. for sure um, and you know what else is a treasure is the when we do advertisements and we are paid. For <laughs> hey, them. can I steal you away? Yeah. <laughs> it can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality and you think that I could never be that I could never be among their illustrious ranks Griffin if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter would I be able to do that well first of all it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain griffin yeah you know it's a shame what is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different <laughs> now? It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. 
So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. Oh, the Jumbotrons are here. They are. Do you want to read the first one? Sure. Uh, This message is for Evan. It is from Sarah. Dear Shmev, I love you with all of my heart and I can't wait to marry you in May. You are smart, funny, enthusiastic, caring, and the best partner anyone could ever ask for. I am so lucky to have you. I've been really nice to you throughout this message, so I'm going to roast you now. Your farts smell like swamp cheese. Love, Scara. Yeah, um, that's gross. (laughs) I don't know what to say else about it. I'm trying to picture what swamp cheese is. I mean, somebody else in this world got me to say fart on a recording, and that is an accomplishment in itself. I guess so. You really don't like that, huh? You know, I uh, I grew up, you know, uh, in Downton Abbey, so that's <laughs> that's what informs my word choice. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, here is a message for Adina. It's from Mike, who says, "Adina, you are the most wonderful thing in my life. Every day I spend with you just gets better and better. I love you so so much, and I am so happy that we are building this life together." Love, Mike. Can't help but notice there was no mentions of farts or stinky cheese in this one some people you know they love out loud and they keep that love free of bodily functions you know (laughs) almond joy's got snuts mounds don't you know something for everybody different strokes yeah hi my name is graham clark and i'm one half of the podcast stop podcasting yourself a show that we've recorded for many many years and uh, at the moment instead of being in person we're recording remotely and uh, you wouldn't even notice. You don't even notice the lag. That's right, Graham. And uh, the great thing about uh, this. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. And, okay, go ahead. And you can listen to us uh, every week on MaximumFun.org. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Your podcasts. Can you tell me your second thing? Yes. Okay. Let her rip. My second thing is a ball python that is 62 years young at the St. Louis Zoo. You love this snake. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> this big snake you love. It, there is a, a story attached to this snake that I find particularly charming. The snake got a name? Uh, you know, didn't find it. Didn't find the name. Almost certainly has a name. I would, I would assume so. I assume the zookeepers have an affectionate name for the snake. Uh, but that is not what I am featuring today. Okay. Uh, this 62-year-old snake laid some eggs this summer. Okay. Uh, the snake hasn't been in contact with a male python in decades. And at 62 years old, maybe the oldest snake to lay eggs on record. So wait, what? Mm. How did it happen? So there are some animals that can do asexual reproduction. Uh, not as common in snakes, but it does happen. Uh, sharks, birds, and lizards are the only vertebrates capable of reproducing this way. They do have not figured it out yet. They're doing some testing to find out how this came about. They just, they, they showed up and there were some eggs in there. Uh, and two of the eggs were not viable. Uh, two were taken for genetic sampling and the remaining three are being kept in an incubator and expected to hatch. That's that's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Like, I knew that that was a thing that could, could happen, but I guess I didn't assume that, like, a thing as big as a ball python could 
do it. Like I've always thought about it being like weird amoeba, <laughs> amoeba stuff, amoeba level shit. Uh, they say it's possible the female snake was storing the sperm and waiting to fertilize the eggs with it. Wowzers! There is one male ball python at the zoo, but is kept in a separate enclosure, and the snakes have not had physical contact since the 1990s. What happened in the so- 1990s when they were like, we gotta get these two fucking snakes apart? <laughs> it's possible the snake has been holding the sperm for decades. Just waiting. Waiting, waiting until she felt ready, you know, to be right. a mother. Yes. And I, I respect that. Yeah. Uh, but also how incredible. <laughs> it boggles the mind, doesn't it? There's so much about this that boggles the mind, right? Like if that is the thing, I we are no scientists or biologists. And I think that is fucking abundantly clear at this point. But like sperm doesn't stay living like viable very maybe, long maybe in unless, snakes it does unless we but, don't know but like there's certain environments if you just like <laughs> drop some sperm on the ground like it's it doesn't it, well, that sperm is no longer true. good but if you like put it in a special container or a snake or a snake i guess it can just it can keep on for decades <laughs> for decades or that or this is an immaculate snake conception I Which so I I was exciting. nervous about bringing this story. So I saw this story a few days ago, yeah. And I thought, oh no, has this been a hoax that has been uncovered? And there is going to be a zookeeper that says, oh yeah, no, the, I got those snakes together all the time. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. It may still come out as of recording. I have not seen an update to the story. Okay, I just googled the snake if it has a name, and it doesn't. She is identified by the number three six one zero zero three. Give the fucking snake and this snake is. The snake just did a, a pretty remarkable thing. True. I think if you can either immaculately conceive and or hold some sperm in your body for 30 years, yeah, you get a name. <laughs> you get to have a cool snake name. Uh, these snakes are not on display to the public right now, so you can't go check out these old snakes. Okay. They belong in a museum. I know. Well, museums well, don't uh, typically have not. living. No, probably not. <laughs> um. I love this. I love, you know, those little miracles out in the world that you see, even in these troubling times. Sure. You gotta love that. Got to. You ha- you are required to love that. I also, I just, I love this old lady snake just taking control of her body and making a decision for herself and her community I, when I, she's ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is my wonderful thing. Uh. My second wonderful thing is I feel like I haven't done like a part of a song yet or, or in, a, in a while, uh, which uh, I want to rectify right now. I want to talk about a specific part of a specific song. The song is If You Want Me to Stay by Sly and the Family Stone. And the part of it that I want to really focus on is the bass line, which is the fucking freshest, best, uh, my favorite bass line in a song uh, ever, ever, ever. That was so good. I... I did not recognize the song by the title, but then once we got a few seconds in, I did. Yes. And I wish you all could have seen Griffin's face as we were listening to it. Yes, I just played Rachel a little snippet so she would remember the song that I'm talking some about. Real guitar face. It it's was a fucking, lovely. It's the best bass line. It is. In in there's I, I love a good bass line in a song. It's like not an instrument that I think about. It's not one that I've ever had like much interest in learning, which is rare because I've had a lot of interest in learning a lot of yeah. other like weird instruments. Uh, but the bass riff on this song is 
like this is my favorite Sly song by a huge margin. And I think the baseline is the major determining factor for that decision. Uh, it was, if you want me to stay, it was a 1973 single off of, I think the fifth album, sixth album from Sly and the Family Stone called Fresh. Uh, and it's one of their most well-known songs, right? It's probably just below like everyday people is probably the best known Sly song. Um, and fresh, the whole album was written by Sly Stone over like two years. Uh, and apparently at this point he was pretty tough to work with. Like he was very, um, perfectionist. Um, this song at one point was pretty much done and ready to like go on the album and Sly Stone trashed the master recordings and like started over with like a version, like a different version. Apparently that original version like exists out there and it's like a very rare find. Uh, And there have been several albums that have had different versions of this uh, song, but in every version, the baseline rips ass. So fresh and there's a riot going on, which was the previous album from Sly and the Family Stone were these super rhythm forward uh, albums like the the drum and the bass line on on these songs was like the featured element, which was kind of rare for yeah. for funk music. Well, for all for really all like recorded music here in the early seventies, um, and you get that like that rhythm forward focus so hard on if you want me to stay. Uh, the drum and bass is the first thing that you hear in the song, and it like permeates the whole thing uh it's like smack dab right front and center every other sort of like melodic element like there's some piano and some organ and uh some horns those are all like panned really far away and like much much quieter yeah um than than this bass and this drum machine uh and it is it is they just stay the stars of the song the whole time and i think that that is very very cool and it gives this song it's like sort of memorable flavor i'm gonna actually like put it in the show now so that our listeners at home can hear it if you want me to stay i'll be around today to be available for you to see i'm about to go and then you'll know for me to stay I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. I feel like that baseline launched like a million amateur bassists like into yeah, the profession of course. Uh, because even though I don't have any interest in the bass you did see me trying to fucking lay it down because this song <laughs> is so fun the bass line is very very syncopated uh, and that provides like most of the rhythm to the song but you do get like in addition to that bunk 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 there's like occasional little funky yeah. like walking triplets that come in like bum, 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 bum. it is uh, such a simple thing, right? Like, it's not like the most complicated. It's not like, uh, what is it? Uh, you Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette. It has like a wild, like, like all over the place baseline. <laughs> this one's like very, very straightforward, but it is also like, it be, because of its simplicity, like the little variations on it are just so fucking fresh and good. Maybe that's why they named the album that. Uh, so Sly Stone was this like prolific multi-instrumentalist who, uh, put down the bass on most of the other songs on fresh uh but for if you want me to stay the bass was played by rusty allen who was a newcomer to the band he like played around with and kind of trained under the previous bassist who i can't remember their name um but he only played on like two albums of slaying the family stone and really left a sort of indelible impression on 
the bass instrument in general just with this one performance. I did a bit of research on Rusty Allen. He started playing bass with bands living in Oakland when he was 12 years old. Uh, and he used to have to draw a mustache on his face with a pencil so that he could play in bars and appear older than he was, <laughs> uh, which is... It's uh, like two kids in a trench coat. It, it very much... it's Yeah, it's two kids in a trench coat playing the bass guitar. Yeah. Uh, and Rusty Allen would go on to play with like George Clinton and the Temptations uh, and had a, a... I think he had like a jazz group of his, of his own, but this is like the best bass performance that he has that is yeah. like the most well-known. Uh, I just think I think the sign of a good baseline is one that sounds fun to play like one uh-huh. that uh, yeah. I, I spent a lot of time prepping this watching tutorials on YouTube and it just like looks it looks fun to have your hands move across the instrument like that <laughs> I know that's like a weird thing uh-huh. uh, but now like uh, especially once I started doing like research on this I cannot hear this song anymore without thinking about like what that baseline would be like to play it's just so good yeah. Um, yeah, I think maybe I should learn the bass. Oh, good. Basically, this is this whole segment was a backdoor, uh, me trying to like make it sound okay. For I will let our to... listeners know that after talking about a hurdy gurdy, Griffin has still not purchased a hurdy gurdy, and no. I'm very impressed at his restraint. It's it's because it's a wildly expensive instrument. <laughs> bass guitar, I imagine I could get for a song. Uh, yeah. Hey, do you want to know what our friends at home are talking about? Yes. Hannah says, my small wonder is uh, Gels Marble Runs League. It's an Olympic-style event done entirely with glass marbles. There are 16 teams of different design marbles who compete in relay-slash-endurance-style events. You become so invested so quickly, especially when you pick a team to follow. More people should watch these. With a global pandemic, I would be okay if this is what sports became. I watched a lot of these. Uh, There's a three hour long compilation video of all the 2020 events so far in the season. And it's just like races and so are these like Rube Goldberg style setups um partially but most of it is like race tracks with like those little staircase things that care like mechanical staircase things that carry the marbles back up to the top or there'll be like a narrow track and they'll send like a team of marbles down it to see who can stay on the longest there's like different events but there's a commentator for the whole thing who's like talking about (laughs) how these things are good it it is I I clicked into it like oh this sounds weird and then I watched like 40 minutes of it I was like oh shit that was 40 minutes. Uh, here's one from uh, Daisy. Something I think is wonderful is pictures of proud gardeners holding enormous vegetables they grew. Ugh. Oh, this actually, I have a very specific family picture that I have kept for a very long time. I believe it is my mom's grandpa uh, in overalls in a field holding a tomato the size of his head. Holy shit. It's just this old black and white photo, and I am just so charmed by it. That's delightful. I was thinking Mm -hmm. more of the, I feel like there are a lot, uh, I feel like gardening is top five things that people have gotten very into during quarantine. Uh, The others being like baking sourdough bread and Mm -hmm. like skateboarding, I guess. Uh, (laughs) And it is cool to like see people, even when it's like people I went to high school with that I have not talked to in 10 years, seeing them holding up like a big eggplant. I'm like, fucking good on you, man. Yeah. Way to, way to grow. That's, that's a great eggplant person. I haven't talked to in 10 years who now harbors some troubling political beliefs. (laughs) That's a great eggplant. Credit where credit's due. Good good eggplant though. Good eggplant. I disagree with you and everything that you stand for. uh, And will not hesitate to let you know that, but that's a, Big eggplant, though. (laughs) 
Uh, can I tell you uh, about Bowen and Augustus who let us <laughs> use our theme song, Money Won't Pay? Please which you can tell find me a link to in the episode description. Yeah. I just did. Okay. And thanks to Maximum Fun for having yeah. us on the network. Thank you, Maximum Fun, for hosting our show. So many great shows. Uh, I am going to recommend the Jackie and Lori show. Yes. Uh, but please, uh, please check out anything you want. It's all free for your listening pleasure. You do not need our permission um, to listen to these shows because that would be wild. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to... Oh, looks like James Brown is throwing fireballs at us and we're levitating. So I do think we need to go do our concert. Um, and I guess we'll... I don't know where tickets are. We probably shouldn't be doing a concert. Yeah. And it'll be a virtual... I, but we'll figure out the specifics a little bit later. But I'm floating away into the soul globe. So... Bye, uh, bye, Griffin. Yeah, I'll see, you, I'll see you next. I'll, I'll see you next time. Bye. This really burns. <laughs> well, is it supposed to burn? I think so. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.